The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is episode number 63. I'm John Stolness from BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. We're just a week away from the start of training camp. So the dead zone is almost over, everybody. We're going to have some actual football to talk about here in a little bit. But uh, we got a lot of good stuff on the program today as well. Um, we got an interesting story about Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman and the relationship between those two guys. Thoughts from, uh, from BLG and I. Uh, on what makes Doug Peterson so darn successful. We'll take a look at some Eagles training camp roster battles uh, by way of predicting the 53-man roster. And uh, BLG and I will each give you some bold predictions for the 2019 season. And uh, we'll throw a hashtag your way towards the end of the episode so uh, you can do the same as well. Joining me, as he does every week, is uh, the man behind BleedingGreenNation.com. May he forever reign. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. Brandon Lee Gowton, BLG, how you doing, pal? John, I'm doing well. Training camp is right around the corner. I just wrapped up my Eagles position preview series for training Mm. camp. And after going through the roster more position by position, uh, I definitely have some maybe new thoughts or some uh, new insights to certain little things going on on the roster after really kind of just getting in there and taking a closer look. That'll come up here in our 53-man roster talk. All right. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I always, I had a little bit of trouble. There's some obvious guys that you know are going to be on the 53, but there's uh, it's the guys around the edges that are the most interesting. And you never know when they're going to pop up and uh, you're going to have to rely on them during the course of the season. So we'll get into that coming up here. Uh, in just a minute. But I wanted to start off uh, with some comments that Doug Peterson made this week uh, that I thought were were really enlightening as to why I think he's a good head coach and I think why you think he's a good head coach. As we look back on some of the the failed marriages between Eagles head coaches and general managers, there's been a lot of power struggles during the course of Eagles history, recent Eagles history. Uh, We saw it obviously with Chip Kelly and Howie Roseman to the point where Roseman got banished to a whole other part of the Novacare complex. Howie Roseman got the last lap, and as it turned out in that one, but Andy Reid also battled for control of the roster, and Ray Rhodes battled for control of the roster. So, I mean, going back to the 1990s, this has been a thing with Eagles head coaches, and this is the we're going into the fourth year of a marriage between Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of issue there, and it's because of Doug Peterson. He, he and his he spoke to the media. I got this story from NJ.com, but I don't know if this was anywhere else, and he. He basically said, listen, I was hired to be the head football coach, not the general manager. 
I was hired to teach football. Howie was hired to do the job that he does. There has to be great communication and great dialogue between those departments, coaching and scouting. He said, uh, when I came here in 2016, that was not my expertise, talking about getting players. I can sit here and watch tape and write a report and say, this guy can do this, this, and this. And until we get him in the building and coach him up, you just don't know. You lean so much on our scouting department. And so he talks about the open and transparent relationship that he has with Howie Roseman. But what I really liked about this BLG is that Doug Peterson seems to know himself. He's a self-aware guy. He's a humble guy. And I think that has, you know, we always hear like in the corporate world and really probably even in the sports world, everything else you do, the media world for sure, you got to be cutthroat to get ahead. You've got to be um, looking out for yourself, willing to step on the guy below you to, to move up. And Doug Peterson doesn't seem to be that kind of guy, BLG. No, I think really, you know, looking back at it, I mean, Doug Peterson is really just the 180 version of Chip Kelly in many ways, um, not just uh, in terms of not wanting personnel power, but just even his aggressiveness. Like we always talked about that, like Doug ended up being what we wanted Chip Kelly to be as a coach. And now with the personnel aspect and the fact that Doug is very hands off in that regard. I mean, it's kind of the dream when you think about the ideal GM head coach pairing. I mean, like in theory, your coach should be doing everything he can to possibly win, you know, this week, this next game. Like they need to do everything they can. So like you want their focus to be on that. And when you had Chip Kelly, you wanted his focus to be on that. But you didn't want it to be on the long-term outlook because that's a conflict of interest right there. Yeah. Like Chip, like Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson, the head coach, whoever it is, should always be focused more on the short term. Like It's not their job so much to develop a player five years down the road. I mean, player development is part of coaching. Yes, um, that's an element. But like that's not their main objective. Like Their main objective is to win this week. They can't right. be worried about like trying to give someone extra reps and develop someone. No, like they, they need to win. Now, you know, on the other side... Howie Roseman, the front office, it's that, you know, they can look at the long term outlook of this thing and be like, okay, you know, we're, we're focused not just on this week, but down the road as well. They have to be, you know, they have to consider the, the salary cap and draft picks and all those implications. Uh, I'm sure there are moments, maybe, or are discussions or debates, whatever you want to call it, where there's, there's always going to be a conflict of interest with those two sides. And as we talk about the 53 man roster here, that's kind of something to consider. Where, you know, Doug Peterson might want Darren Sproles on the roster because he feels like Darren Sproles can help him win, like, this week, right now. Um, whereas Howie Roseman and the rest of the front office might be like, well, Doug, Sproles has been hurt. And uh, signing him, you know, might not be the best for the long-term outlook. We have Boston mm -hmm. Scott here. We believe in him as a future player. That's just me giving an example. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not saying that's what's happening with that specifically. Right. But, but I think that's the kind of, you know, the two different outlooks you have here. And for Doug Peterson to be so hands-off, it's just ideal because you can just let the personnel, staff, uh, and the front office do what they do and just let Doug focus on coaching. I mean, remember when Andy Reid went to KC originally and mm -hmm. he was talking about how, like, it was just so nice for him to, to get away from the personnel and, uh, you know, kind of just like be done with having to think about all that and just focus on coaching. So uh, hopefully that continues to maintain here. I really think it will. Like, I've never thought that Doug is the kind of guy who's going to make a power play. Like, it just does not seem like it's yeah. him or like he's he's interested in it. And why would he be? Like, he, he won a Super Bowl with a model where he didn't have to pick his players. So, like, why not continue that? You know what's an interesting thought is what if Andy Reid never did get control of yeah. the roster and he just focused on coaching and game planning with that roster that he was given. Would they have been even more successful? Might he have won a Super Bowl? I mean, I don't know how distracting it is, but 
I know there there were times when when a coach has the has the ability and the authority to cut a player or has to make a decision on trading a player or something like that. It's going to affect how they treat them as a coach too. Those those really need to be two separate jobs. You know, in baseball, the other sport that I cover, managers don't have control over the roster, and it really rears its head a lot when during the trade deadline, when there's a, you know, when the, the team has a shortage and there's a lot of holes that need to be filled, a manager just says, you know, I, I have to play with the guys that I have on my roster. You know, I got to make sure I can go out and win with the, with the 25 guys that, that I have right now. And I can't worry about what we might have next week. And I think that's the way it should be for coaches and general managers. There's a reason why there's, there's a delineation, generally speaking, between those two jobs. I don't, I know Bill Parcells said, he, you know, if he's going to do the cooking, then he should be able to go buy the groceries. Maybe there are some guys who who can do that well. Bill Belichick can do that really well. I'm glad Doug Peterson's not trying it because I suspect when you have your your, your mind divided between doing two different jobs, it's going to affect the one job you had before, I would think, negatively, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Eagles are fortunate. And I think back when, you know, the, the change happened, meaning, you know, from Chip Kelly over to Doug Peterson, you know, I was wondering, like, okay, I think this could work out. I think going back to the well where the Eagles uh, were in terms of the Andy Reid era could work out because it, it worked for them before. But I also wondered like if it lacked vision, if it lacked uh, ingenuity. Are they just like, well, this didn't work, so we're just going to go back to what we did before as right. opposed to you know, try something, just keep trying to forge ahead. And thankfully, you know, for their sake, it worked out. Uh, and I'm sure there it's going to be a model. It's a stable model. You know, there's no, there's no power play happening here. Uh, you know, you have Harry Rosen at the top. You have Doug Peterson, you know, as the head coach, and that's that's great. Hopefully, that's something the Eagles can build on for years yep. to come. All right, BLG. Well, we are just a week away from uh, the start of training camp. It's I think it'll be good to talk some Eagles football again. I know that I'm looking forward to talking some Eagles football. Um, you know, even as a, a guy who loves baseball and, and and loves the Phillies and podcasts about the Phillies, I'm I'm burned out on that sport, man. It's it's <laughs> been a rough summer, and I think the whole city is ready for Eagles football to get underway and for training camp battles to get underway. And, you know, listen, we, we have been talking about it all summer long. This is not a team with a lot of holes. There are not going to be a lot of roster battles for starting positions. I think we pretty much know if everybody's healthy, who's going to be in the starting lineup from week to week. But there are some positions where that's not the case, where there, there, there are some muddied waters a little bit. Uh, so we're going to go through right now and give you our 53-man roster. Uh, we'll start off with the offense Let's start with the quarterback position, and um, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say Carson Wentz is uh, the number one quarterback for this team heading wow. into 2019. I know, hot take, bold prediction. I'm, that, I'm say it's I didn't make that one of my bold predictions for later in the show, but I mean, I guess we could we could make it one. Uh, Wentz is the Wentz is the number one quarterback, but uh, seriously, looking at the at the QB roster, um, I guess the battle will be for number three quarterback, right? I don't even think there is one, to be honest with you, John. Um, I think it's Carson. I think it's Nate Sudfeld as your number two. And then I think it's Clayton Thorson who makes the team as a number three. Cody Kessler was clearly the fourth string quarterback in spring drills. Like he barely took reps, even. And he, again, he was always fourth. The guy's lack of arm strength is so apparent. <laughs> so I think he's just a camp body. I think uh, Thorson makes the team as number three. Now, I feel like Thorson like needs to show a little more than he did in the spring. I guess he might in the preseason games. I don't think he needs to look awesome. I just think he needs to show something that's like, okay, that's why they drafted him. That's why he's worth developing. So. Kind of need to see something from him in camp, preseason. But I think it's pretty cut and dry when it comes to, you know, Carson as your starter, Nate Sudfeld as your backup, and then Clayton Thorson as the guy the Eagles drafted in the fifth round and are presumably going to develop. 
I'm not overly comfortable with Nate Sudfeld as the number two, obviously, but that's the direction the team is going to go uh, here with the backup quarterback. And, you know, I don't I I'm not wild about the fact of having uh, a, a really good veteran quarterback on uh, Carson Wentz's heels. I, I want Carson to just kind of know this job is his and not be looking over his shoulder every time he has a bad game. Oh, gee, are they going to bring Fitzpatrick in now? You know, I, I don't I don't want something like that. But I also am a little concerned with uh, with Nate Sudfeld as as the backup quarterback. But so I'm looking forward to seeing what he what he brings to the table in training camp, and I'll be relying on your eyes while you're down there uh, watching him every day, and hopefully you're uh, bringing back some some good reports on on Sudfeld. Let's look at the running back position here, at BLG. And again, I think we know who at least two of these guys are: Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders. If Sanders' hamstring ever decides to be healthy again, uh, will be your top two running backs. As far as uh, the back end of the running back crew. I'm imagining, will they keep four running backs on this roster, BLG, or do you think they just go with three? And if so, who's the third? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting spot to um, to look at here. I think that's one of the more real training camp battles. Really, for the second year in a row, there was a battle for a fourth spot last year that we were all kind of looking at, uh, which was funny because it really didn't matter, you know, uh, at the moment. You know, it's like, who, it doesn't really matter too much who your fourth running back is. The Eagles are set at one and two. I think it will be Jordan Howard as you're really your kind of one A early in the year, especially with Sanders, you know, missing time in spring practice and having this hamstring issue uh, and then just getting up to speed with the playbook and, you know, some of the issues he had in terms of pass blocking and fumbling in college. I just, you know, I don't think you, like, I just don't think he's the guy like right out of yeah. the gate. So yeah. um, I think he can come on as the season goes along. Definitely think that could happen. Uh, so those are your one, two, Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders. And then Corey Clement has to be your number three. Um, you know, assuming he's healthy, I'm guessing he will be. He was, you know, doing some rehab work in spring practices. I'm guessing he'll be ready for camp. And if not, right out of the gate, maybe a week or two into it, we'll see. Be great to get him back uh, as a pass-catching third down back in this offense. And then I don't think it's impossible that the Eagles could keep five. Because hmm. Wendell Smallwood just seems to always be on this roster. He does. He's ubiquitous. Uh, <laughs> Sadly, uh, nothing against Wendell personally, but just like we we can probably do better. <laughs> I would think um, the Eagles like his special teams. I was going to say, how is he as a special teams guy? Because some of these some of these positions are going to be mostly special teams guys, right? Yeah, I mean, he played some some of the most special team snaps among the team last year, so the Eagles count on him there. But like, hopefully, they just move on. Honestly, in my projection, I, I have Smallwood off because I just feel like he's just a guy. And is he really going to get like claimed if you cut him? Like. I think he'll be out there on the market like if you needed to bring him back for injury or, or some other reason. So that leaves me with not Josh Adams, who was the Eagles' leading rusher last year, right. making the roster. I don't get it with him in terms of like where his path is to make the roster. Some people are like, oh, you can't forget about Josh Adams. And I'm like, I'm not forgetting about him. It's just that he doesn't really – he's not a pass catcher. He doesn't really help out on special teams, especially as like a returner or anything. Where are you seeing his role on the team? Like I just don't yeah. understand – um, why you would keep him around. So, to me, my fourth running back in this situation would be Boston Scott. Yep. Um, yep. They talked him up a lot during minicamp, didn't they? Doug Peterson literally talked about him as, like, a potential Darren Sproles replacement, which I thought was, like, very straightforward and kind of surprising. that he was just that. Uh, yeah. And he took all the first team punt return reps. So, like, if he's not returning punts, uh, who is? And I know Deshaun might do some of it, but, you know, I was specifically looking through punt return numbers for a special teams preview. Yes, I actually did that. On BleedingGreenNation.com, you can check that out. And uh, Deshaun has averaged 3.3 punt returns per season since 2012. 
He's 23 total, again, since the start of the 2012 season. So it's not something he's exactly done a lot lately, and he turns 33 this season. So I don't know how much punt returns he's going to be doing. But then I was looking back through Boston Scott's punt return history, too, and he had none in college. And he has <laughs> never done it in a regular season game. So I think that's kind of an interesting spot there. The fact that he's getting the first team reps makes it seem like he's going to get that chance to be that guy. And I think if he, you know, shows something there, and he fits the profile of a player who could be a good punt returner, you know, like in that Sproles mode or mold, I should say, you know, a little guy who's you can kind of make people miss. So I'm guessing it will be Scott, but I'm not super confident in that. Like I'm not like 100 percent confident. Like I need to see something from him this summer. Like I don't think he's he's locked in already. Like Boston right. Scott, show me something this summer. See, I don't understand. But I mean, punt returning seems so easy. All you have to do is track a. A ball that comes off the foot 50 yards on, on, in the air, watching it in the sky the whole time, knowing <laughs> that 10 other screaming maniacs are running down the field looking to knock your head off, and then trying to figure out if you can catch it, whether or not you should run with it afterwards, and if you're going to run with it afterwards, running the, into the right direction so that you might be able to gain some positive yardage and not get smashed and uh, fumble the ball and turn the ball back over. Seems like an easy job to me. I, I think the, the less experience, the better, you know? <laughs> For sure. I've always I've always thought punt returning is like the craziest job because you know that there's like a freight train heading towards you and yet you can't look at it. You've you've got to look at the ball in the air and and try and secure that thing and man, I'd fair catch every time. I just wouldn't even wouldn't even factor the running part into it after I after I brought the ball in, man. All right, let's look at what but that's why I don't play football. Uh, let's look at wide receiver. Um Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar, JJ Arcega Whiteside, I think those four guys are locked in. How many wide receivers do you think they keep and um who do you see on the on the back end of this as well? Yeah, so we know the top four are pretty locked in, barring trade, which I will get to here oh, okay. in a little bit. Um, so Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar are easily your top three. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is obviously making the team as a second-round pick. Beyond those four, it's not quite locked in, I would say. Right now, I would project Matt Collins as my fifth guy. I think you know his special teams contributions should give him a leg up as making that kind of fifth spot there. And he's still younger, and we did see some positive contributions from him back in 2017 in limited playing time. And then that sixth spot, or the fifth spot, depending how you want to look at it, uh, I don't think it's Shelton Gibson. Like He had a, almost as good of a preseason, I felt like, as you could have last year, and yet he only had one reception in the regular season. So like, I don't know what he could do to win a, you know, like win a spot. Yeah. So you have Charles Johnson in the mix there, Mark and Michelle, who looked good, the, the CFL guy. In spring practices, we'll kind of need to see how he looks in training camp and if he was just, you know, a guy who flashes in the spring and then doesn't show up on the pads go on. So there's kind of like a real battle for that spot. Um, you can throw in, again, Greg Ward in there, DeAndre Tompkins, uh, undrafted rookie free agent, who also has some return ability. So there's kind of an interesting battle uh, if you like that kind of thing and consider that kind of thing interesting at the bottom of the roster there. But one of the, the more bigger things uh, that I want to talk about at this position, John, is the Nelson Aguilar trade possibility. Yeah. Because, you know, looking at it more, man, it's just, it's such a weird thing to me that the Eagles are really going to go into the season paying this guy $9.4 million, And I think he's going to have a reduced role this year. Like, I, I really do. Looking at some of the projections, I know uh, ESPN's Mike Clay did one recently. So let's say, let me set this up for you. So in 2018, last year, uh, Nelson Aguilar had 736 yards and four touchdowns. Okay. So in 2017, he had 768 yards and eight touchdowns. So like, you know, a pretty significant role, right? I mean, he was the starting slot receiver. This mm -hmm. year, Mike Clay's projection, Aguilar has 36 receptions for 410 yards. So like mm -hmm. about three over 300 yards fewer than the past two seasons 
and only three touchdowns. You know, that's a, a drop in production. And now why is that? Because how are you getting Dallas Goddard on the field? Like, that's the question, right? Yeah, exactly. If, if you're going to go to more 12 personnel, that means you're going less 11 personnel. And are you taking Deshaun Jackson off the field? I don't think so. He's your deep threat. Are you taking Alshon Jeffrey off the field? I don't think so. He's your number one wide receiver. So I think Aguilar is the guy who's kind of the odd man out when you think about that. If you're Nelson Aguilar, I mean, how are you feeling about your role potentially being decreased here as you're entering a contract year? You're going to be a free agent after this season. So I think that dynamic is still like a little weird to me. I feel like they might just keep Aguilar on this 9.4 because they're they're trying to contend for a Super Bowl. And it's not like a draft pick is going to help them more than Nelson Aguilar would this year. But... Maybe if they could trade him for a player at another position, that could help this year. I mean, like, how is that not on the table? Yeah, I would think it should be, and you're right, because it's one of the things I talked about with my sneaky concerns uh, a couple weeks ago was finding enough balls for everybody to be happy, making making the offense go when, when you've got Aguilar and you've got, you want to get Goddard more involved, and everybody talks about Goddard as a, as a breakout guy this year. Uh, it seems to me both financially and from a roster standpoint, that it makes sense to try and find a suitor. And for Aguilar, too, he, I would imagine, like you said, it's a contract year. He probably wants to put up as many yards and catches as possible. So that'll be definitely something to watch here uh, in training camp. Uh, let's look at the tight end. Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, obviously one and two. I have Josh Perkins as the number three tight end, uh, kind of a guess on my part. Uh, what did they look like in minicamp? Who, who do you think had the edge there? Well, you are wrong, John, unfortunately for you. Okay. Um, it's it's going to be Richard Rodgers. Um, okay. He was having a good camp last year, a good summer prior to suffering that knee injury that kind of cost him, I think, like nine games or so last year. Um, he was looking solid as a number three tight end. I mean, obviously, ideally, you do not want him out there at all. But like, if he has to fill in for a game or two, kind of like Trey Burton had to step up back in 2017 when Ertz would miss a game. I'm not saying Richard Rodgers is Trey Burton. I'm just saying like you, that's a guy who you can count on to kind of like get you through a game or two there. He's a, he's just a solid number three tight end who, you know, he's not fast, but he can, he's decent hands, decent blocker. And he's also a good special teams contributor. And more, most importantly, probably the most important factor here, John, is he is the emergency long snapper. So he's oh, the backup to Rick Lovato. So that kind of helps too. Absolutely. Uh, let's look uh, at the offensive line to finish off the offense here. Uh, and uh, obviously, um, where I'm not putting Brandon Brooks uh, among uh, the the 53 man because it seems as though he's almost certainly going to miss the beginning of the season. Uh, so I have uh, Jason Peters, Isaac Samalo, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Big V, Wiz, uh, Dillard, and Jordan Mailata as my eight offensive linemen. Who do you have? So I have ten. I'm I'm keeping Brooks oh, on the 53. I think between Jason Kelsey saying that he thinks Brooks will be ready if not for Week One, like pretty early in the season, and then there was a report from Howard Eskin. Eskin has heard that he believes Brooks will be ready pretty early in the season, if not week one. I think he said something like zero doubt, which is a very bold phrase. Uh, So, yeah, I'm guessing he's not going to be on the PUP list. I don't know if he starts week one, but I just don't think he goes on PUP. So um, I have Jason Peters, Isaac Sumalo, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, maybe not starting week one, but we'll see. Uh, Lane Johnson, Big V. Although, you know, Big V... if Brandon Brooks is healthy, and the Eagles really like the progress they're seeing from both Andre Dillard and Jordan Mailata. I mean, Big V, who's going to be a free agent after this year, suddenly yeah. becomes expendable, especially if you know a team has a uh, starting offensive tackle go down. So I think the trade is possible, but, but I'm keeping him on the roster for now. Um, Andre Dillard obviously makes it. Wiz obviously makes it. He's your backup center and uh, you know a backup on the interior at guard as well. Uh, I have Jordan Mailata making the team. You know, I don't think the Eagles draft him and 
spend a year developing him just to cut him a season later. Although, right. like, you know, if he was just, like, abysmal this summer for some reason, which I don't think he will be, but if he was, like, that's how he could potentially get cut. Like, if he just showed no development at all and, like, he showed that he wasn't taking things seriously, like, that's how he could kind of get cut. And I don't think that's the case. I'm just saying, like, that would be what that looks like. And then 10th spot, don't feel, like, awesome about it. Don't feel like it's, you know, set in stone by any means. But I'm keeping Matt Pryor around. You know, the Eagles spent a six on him last year. He didn't mm-hmm. play at all. Uh, he didn't see a single snap. He was only active for one game, week 17, and he didn't, again, he did not play at all. But I, I think the Eagles kind of envision him, in my mind, as a future, like, Alan Barber, a guy who can start at both guard and tackle, and he's a really big guy. And he showed some good potential in training camp last year before kind of struggling in the preseason. I think Pryor could kind of be the top backup guard next year. So if they want to keep him around and kind of go heavy on the offensive line, I think they could keep him. Well, let's move on to the defense after we take a uh, quick break. Uh, We'll give you uh, our roster predictions for the defensive side of the ball up next here on BGN Radio. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back on BGN Radio. So it's just a, a week before training camp is uh, set to begin at the Novacare Complex in Philadelphia. We are giving you our 53-man roster predictions and looking some of the uh, looking at some of the training camp battles that could be taking place here uh, as the team gets uh, ready for the 2019 season. Uh, we did offense before the break. Let's get into the defense here, BLG, and let's get into the position that I think uh, you and I would both agree probably has the least amount of depth on the roster, and that's the defensive end position. Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Vinny Curry, three locks to make it. I think Josh Sweat, would you agree, is probably a, a fourth lock to make the team, barring something unforeseen happening in training camp. A- after those four guys, uh, what does the rest of the defensive end position look like for you? Yeah, so I would say Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Vinny Curry are the you know 100% locks. Like right. not, we obviously know they're not going anywhere. Brandon Graham and Barnett are probably your starters which doesn't mean everything on this team because of how much they rotate their defensive ends. But I think it'll be those two taking the, the bulk of the defensive end snaps with Vinnie Curry working in there off the bench fairly often. So he'll, so he'll still get a lot of playing time. And then after that, and we'll see, <laughs> like it's not, it's not set in stone. Uh, Josh Sweat, I would say, is the front runner right now for that fourth job. Mm-hmm. I think the team has some kind of belief in him, you know, coming off of this uh, rookie season, you know, where he was a fourth round pick and has athletic potential he's only 22 like there's you can see like the path for josh sweat and how he could be something to this team but Mm -hmm. i also feel like and apologies to the josh sweat hive out there if such a thing exists (laughs) um i can also see the path where like he's nothing like he's just not anything like he doesn't turn into nfl player like i don't think people are giving enough weight to that possibility which is why I think myself and you, John, and others are kind of worried about that, like that spot, because he, like, we don't, we don't know if Josh Witt's going to be anything. He might not be. He could be. I just, it's just, he's a total unknown in my opinion, with some potential. And then beyond him, you have probably Sharif Miller, final pick of the fourth round this year. I would imagine he doesn't really play much at all, barring injury. You kind of just keep him around as a guy that you're developing behind the scenes more so. And then you have some guys pushing for those fourth 
slash fifth spots on the roster, like Deshaun Hall, who was actually on the team last year, and uh, Joe Oshman is obviously around too. Um, so those guys will try to you know make it competitive and earn a job on the roster. But yeah, I mean, I'm not feeling awesome about that. You know, that rotation outside of the top three. And you know, looking back to when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, as I've talked about many times in 2017, you know, they went four deep. They they had uh, a t- a lot of depth there. They could count on Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry, Chris Long, and Derek Barnett all to play at least like 45 percent of the snaps and give them mm-hmm. like real playing time. I think this year uh, the rotation is going to look a little bit something more like it did back in almost like 2016 when the Eagles were kind of going. They kind of relied more on three guys, and then they kind of had a fourth guy who was only like 20% of the snaps as opposed to at least everyone being around like 45 or 50 or so. And I guess Josh Sweat would be that kind of 20% guy. It's always possible, you know, the Eagles bring in a veteran here, uh, although Derek Morgan retired, so it's not going to be him. Connor Barwin, we'll still see. I just, I feel like, again, we, we talked about why that really doesn't make sense as a football move, in my opinion. So I really don't know who it's going to be. And, you know, again, if they suffer an injury to like one of those top three guys, so all of a sudden, like, Josh Sweat is one of your top three? Like, I just, I don't love that. And They're going to have to make a trade, BLG. If uh, something they, like that happens, they're going to have to find it. They have to do else. something. That, I think yeah. at that point, they would bring Connor Barwin back. Not that that would solve anything, but I think they, that's the point, um, assuming he's still out there. Yeah, so I just I don't feel great about it. You know, Malik Jackson, in theory, could take some of these reps at defensive end and kind of contribute there as well. That's a position he's played for three defensive end in addition to defensive tackle. That's something that people have talked about. Maybe that's possible, but I, I didn't see him doing that at all in the spring. That doesn't mean he can't do it when the season rolls around, but it's just like I don't really think that's like a huge plan on the radar right now. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's not a spot that I feel as good about as I, I want to. So you think they go with five on the active roster or four? I think it's at least five. Okay. Could That's be six. I, yeah, yeah I, I had six initially on mine, but I didn't have as many offensive linemen as you did. So i uh trying to work out the math. But I, I have six. I had uh, Sweat, Osman, and Miller as my six, but um, it, that's simply because I'm, I'm not I'm not sure what we have with Sweat, Osman, or Miller, so trying to uh, keep, you know hedge my bets and uh, and keep as many of those guys around as I can because if you are going to run a rotation, I know that's such a, an important position uh, to Jim Schwartz. They seem to be much stronger at defensive tackle this year. The hope is that you don't need to be quite as deep uh, at defensive end because you have Fletcher Cox, you have Malik Jackson, uh, you have Timmy Jernigan, you have Trayvon Hester, um, those, are your, those are your four top guys. And I have Hassan Ridgeway as a fifth defensive tackle making this team. But is that too many? Like, if you're keeping six defensive ends, is, is five D tackles too many for this team? Um, I have five, but I only have five ends, too. So, ten total defensive linemen. I have okay. ten total offensive linemen and ten total defensive linemen, which doesn't seem crazy to me just because, you know, Eagles happen to value the trenches. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think Cox, Jackson are your starters there, defensive tackle. Timmy Jernigan. Hopefully, you know, he's healthy, he's, he's back, because, you know, as I was talking about with Ben Solak on BGN Radio episode 62, or 63, mm-hmm. whatever it was last it's week. 62, yep. Okay, 62, uh, reasons why we're excited about the season. I mean, that, that trio right there is, you know, assuming Jackson bounces back from his struggles, assuming Jernigan is healthy, so, that, you know, it's not a guarantee, there's some things that have to happen there, but if it all comes together... Uh, I think that could be a really good trio. And then you have Trayvon Hester, who I thought was a pretty decent rotational backup player last year. He can He's your fourth guy. And then maybe Ridgeway makes it as a fifth guy. We'll kind of see. That's something that we'll I'm sure we'll see play out in training camp if he deserves that spot or not. But yeah, I think 
for as much as I feel a little bit uneasy about defensive end, you know, defensive tackle, I'm feeling pretty good about that group. One of the positions I'm really intrigued with is linebacker, and this is obviously a position where the Eagles play just two linebackers a lot of the time. They're in they're in nickel for uh, a large number of uh, a large percentage of snaps during the course of any game. But I was definitely worried about the linebacker depth heading into the offseason. And I don't think there's a star on this team at linebacker, but they seem to have improved the depth, although I don't know how they find enough space for all the guys that they have here. So there's Nigel Bradham, there's Kamugruja Hill, there's LJ Fort, there's Zach Brown, there's Nate Gary. That's five guys there. That seems like a lot of linebackers for a team that's only going to really ever have two on the field at one time. Is that too many? Is there a number crunch there? And if so, who's the odd man out? I think they keep five in part just because you know those guys are going to be logging a lot of special team reps, uh, the backup mm. guys. Yeah, so I think Nigel Bradham, you know, obvious lock. He's probably going to be your linebacker who plays the most out of everyone, assuming healthy. You mentioned, John, that the Eagles like to use two linebackers mostly, and that's true. But sometimes they really like to only use one. And yeah. I, I think Bradham will be that guy in that case. Then you have Zach Brown, who kind of like interested to see, you know, how he fits into this roster. Like, yeah. I'm not like uh, 100% convinced yet. Like he could, he's going to be the guy who gets the second most amount of reps or snaps at linebacker, in part because like he's running with the second team in spring drills, and maybe mm-hmm. that bears out differently in the summer and he steps up. Um, he easily could, you know. Again, watching this guy when he he would play with Washington, like he would always stand out to me in a really good way. Um, so maybe we see some more of that. I think basically thinking about it more, I feel like Zach Brown is kind of like Michael Kendricks. I forget if we've talked about that, but I feel like that's kind of a good comparison in oh, the okay. sense of like. Really talented athletically, makes those splash plays, but isn't always a favorite of the coaching staff because he doesn't really call the defense and he, he kind of isn't the most assignment sound player. You know, he, he might be mm-hmm. freelancing a little too much. Um, so that's kind of a comparison that I've been thinking about for him. Uh, I think Kamu could, you know, potentially take another step forward after he kind of did last year. Although I guess right now I'd kind of project him to be more of like the weak side linebacker, kind of third most snaps of the Mm -hmm. the guys who actually play out in the field uh nate gary i think he's gonna make the team linebacker coach ken fujole is really talking him up this spring exceptionally so so i think he's making the team uh lj fort man i don't know if he makes the team john that's one of those wow i I currently have him on to be clear but i'm just saying like if you're keeping him you're losing that fourth round pick potentially the the compensatory pick that you would get and uh, obviously sandejo is in that equation too and we'll get to him later in a little bit here so I, I have a hard time thinking they're going to cut Fort because the Eagles said back in March that he was a quote-unquote target-free agent for them. Yeah, they signed, they signed him, him early. early. Yeah, signed they did. He also, you know, I think he's going to be a key contributor on special teams. But at the same time, thinking about it more, I thought like, okay, LJ Fort had reportedly like multiple suitors after him, which is part of why the Eagles signed him early. Like that's believable because why, you know, why would they be in a rush if they yeah. didn't think there are other offers out there? Why would they give him $1.9 million guaranteed? So my thinking is that, you know, if it comes down to later in the summer and there's a team kind of looking for linebacker depth or help out there, maybe they lose a starter and they need someone. If you trade for it, for even just the minimum compensation you could get, which is, you know, like a, basically a 2027th round pick, it would really be trading him for fourth and the seventh. Because yeah, because you get pick. the compensatory. So back, is yeah. that a trade, you know, you would make like a backup linebacker for a fourth and a seventh? And in addition to that, uh, the Eagles would also save like $1.11 million in cap space. So you'd be saving some cap space. You'd get, be getting a fourth and a seventh for a backup linebacker. Is that a trade you make, John? I would, and I guess it all comes down to what you think of Zach Brown at that point. Because I think it feels to me like the Eagles got Zach Brown 
simply because he was there. Like, it was an opportunity buy. You know, it wasn't... LJ Ford felt like someone they targeted. Zach Brown felt like someone, hey, this guy's still here. He, he He's willing to come play on a... On a, on a small deal, let, let's go out and make it happen and just get ourselves some more depth at linebacker. But, you know, given everything you just said, if Zach Brown plays well in, 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 in training camp, you, what you say makes a lot of sense. I just, I, I, they really did target Fort, I think. I think that they saw something in him, you know, where they, they talked right after they, they signed him as a potential starter at middle linebacker, didn't they? I mean, that was part of the conversation is, you know, maybe he could be that guy because I don't think, I mean, is Nigel Bradham guaranteed the middle linebacker spot i think that's all i think a lot of those positions are kind of up for grabs i think bradham will start in the middle just because okay. you know he has the experience calling the defense he um you know obviously did it when hicks was out these past two years and i think schwartz really likes bradham but yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see who's like on the back end of the spots because we i don't even think we mentioned paul warlow like he could potentially mm-hmm. be in the mix um tj edwards was looking good you know yeah. the drafted rookie free agent and spring got drills. all about him think he'll probably make the practice squad if he if he makes it through waivers but i mean he could push for the roster like that'll be uh not super exciting battle to watch because again that player probably won't even play much on defense but it's kind of one of those if you're you know you're following along with the 53 and you're trying to make your own projection like that'll be one of the more tougher spots to figure out unless we we see the guys step up in camp in summer. Let's get into the position where I think there is going to be uh, the most interesting battle for for starting positions, and that's a cornerback. You've got Jalen Mills, Ronald Darby, Avante Maddox, Russell Douglas, Sidney Jones, Crevon LeBlanc, six guys all in the mix for playing time. I don't know how they're going to find playing time for all these different guys. You mentioned Nelson Aguilar is a trade candidate, Big V is a trade candidate. I know one of the cornerbacks is obviously probably going to come up in trade conversations uh, during training camp or the early part of the season, too, I would think, BLG. Um, do they go with six corners, and are those, are those the six guys? Uh, so right now, I'm kind of cheating, <laughs> and I only have five on the roster, but let me explain. I'm just not convinced that Jalen Mills is going to be ready early in the season. You know, I think back to what I've been talking about all offseason with that thing about Dave Spadaro talking about like he doesn't even know when Jalen Mills is going to be ready. I think back to the fact that Jalen Mills was pretty invisible during spring practice. Like he didn't practice at all, but he wasn't even on the sideline except for maybe like one practice I remember him at. So he just seemed like out of sight, out of mind. Like we don't know where he is in terms of his recovery, you know, as opposed to like Ronald Darby, who was doing some individual drills and kind of warming up with the team. Like I would think he's closer to returning than Jalen Mills is. For right now, I'm keeping Jalen Mills on the PUP list. So I'm saying he's out for the first six weeks of the season at the very least. And I think that might be a smart move by the Eagles because it kind of gives him extra time and it allows the other guys in the meantime to kind of to show, you know, what they've got and what you have in them. Now, I don't think that's a move that Jalen Mills will love because, again, he's going to be a free agent after this season. So that's kind of, you know, another interesting dynamic to watch for. Um, but as for the five that I have on the roster here, I have Ronald Darby, who is going to be your starter. I mean, that's not that's not up for debate. Like, you know, right? He's the most him. talented guy. Right, and right. they signed him to a eight point five million dollar contract, like right. to, to bring him back. They, they they didn't do that so he could sit the bench. Maddox is just too good to not be on the field to me in some capacity. Whether that's, I mean, I'm guessing he's going to be your primary nickel guy. But like, you know, if you're not playing nickel. And you have only two cornerbacks on the field. Like I feel like he should be out there at least some of the time. Like he's mm-hmm. really, really good in my opinion from what I've seen from him. I think he's taken another leap from where he was last year. Just what I saw in spring. Now that's you know small sample size, but I just I really feel good about Avante, uh, Rizul Douglas. Also feeling good about him. I think he's probably uh, starting. You know if he's starting if Mills and or Darby you know aren't ready week one, and also potentially 
if they're not really going to give Maddox a full-time job on the outside, it could be him starting next or opposite of Ronald Darby. If Jalen Mills is missing time, uh, this was Rizul's, I think, the third year now. I think he's showing like good signs of being ready for starting. Mm-hmm. I, I really like what I've seen out of Rizul. So where does that leave Sidney Jones on this list? It puts him fourth. Man, I want to read you, John, here, something that Dave Spadaro wrote about Sidney Jones in his post on PhiladelphiaEagles.com titled Five Intriguing Players to Watch in 2019 Training Camp. Like, what is Sidney Jones? We're going to find out because Jones is squarely in the thick of an extremely interesting cornerback picture. He goes on to give a little bit of his background. Yeah, says has nothing guaranteed. Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a backup? Does he make the roster? Now, yeah. hello, like, hello, like, are we not like to me? I look at that, and you know, it's Spadero. It doesn't mean everything, right? And then he even says, to, to be fair, like maybe that's a bit of a reach. But like the fact that we're even like asking that question, is Sidney Jones going to make the roster? And I think the answer is yes. But like, it's not there, great. There's always been a disconnect <laughs> with Sidney Jones to me, John. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the sense of like, I I really liked him coming into the draft before he got hurt. Once he got hurt, I was a little more skeptical of you know the career projection just because of that injury and the history of drafting injured players hasn't been great. There are some, some exceptions. You can point to Jalen Smith and someone in the comments this week at BGN was like, "Oh, you're you're so harsh on Sidney Jones." BLG, think about Jalen Smith, and okay, maybe Sidney Jones steps up this year, but I don't see it. Like, where's he? Who's he playing over? Should he be playing over Avante Maddox? I don't think so. Nope. Avante's look good. And even Razul. Like, I've seen more out of Avante and Razul than I have Sidney Jones for these, like, past, ever since last year, basically, when they were all playing. Yeah. Pravon's um, made more plays than Sidney has. Yeah, that's true, too. And, I'm, you know, I'm not going to cut um, Sidney Jones just to keep LeBlanc. Right. Um, but, yeah, I agree. And I have LeBlanc on the roster, too. He's my fifth corner. But, yeah, I just, I, I think people want Sidney Jones to be a thing, and I want Sidney Jones to be a thing. I'm not rooting against the guy, but I'm saying, like, I think people are projecting too much when it comes to Sidney Jones. Like, they're, they see the package, like, he's only 22, he has this potential, blah, 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 and they might be right, and I might end up looking stupid for it, but, like, right now, I don't think you just hand him a starting job. Like, that's not where it should be at. Like, to me, it should be, you know, whoever is playing well gets the starting job. We're not going to just hand it to Sidney Jones because he was a second-round pick and he has, like, potential in theory. No, he has to earn it, and I don't think he's earned it yet. So I think he'll be on the roster, and I think Sidney Jones could be a really important piece for this team next year because Ronald Darby is going to be a free agent after this year, and so is Jalen Mills. So Sidney Jones could potentially be a starter as soon as next year and be like you know an important piece for this team. But in 2019, I just don't see it, John. I guess that's uh, I guess that's a reason maybe to to hope that he gets a few more snaps uh, this year if he is going to potentially be a starter in 2020 but obviously this team is Super Bowl or bust this year and you're not going to play him over the guys who are who are playing better than him for sure he's a very frustrating player which really would be interesting to see what would have happened if he hadn't gotten hurt right before right before the draft although the Eagles probably wouldn't have gotten him if that had happened anyway so um, let's look at the safety position here BLG we're just about done with the defense uh, Malcolm Jenkins uh, is obviously uh, is obviously going to be uh, on the uh, opening day roster here you've got Rodney McLeod hopefully um, he's going to be healthy enough to go. And then, you know, some of the questions with third and fourth safety, you know, you've got Andrew Sandejo, who also has the compensatory pick, the fourth round thing going on with him as well, and Trey Sullivan and some some other guys who could potentially be your third or fourth safeties. How many do you see the team carrying, and uh, who do you got? So Malcolm Jenkins is going to be on the team, obviously. Hopefully, I'm hoping, you know, the Eagles work out his contract situation. Yeah, still in the, still in the air. Still nothing on that front. I could change maybe. As camp gets even closer here in the next week, uh, we'll see, kind of wait and see on that one. 
Uh, Rodney McLeod seems to be optimistic that he'll be ready for week one. That seems like a reasonable projection, considering he only got hurt in September last year, not as opposed to like late in the season. And he also was participating in some of the rehab stuff. He was warming up with the team in spring drills. So it seems like he's kind of making good progress there. I mean, if those two guys are healthy and they're all good, like feeling pretty good about that as a starting safety duo. I am a little bit worried about Malcolm Jenkins as a guy who's averaged a thousand snaps per season, basically, over his 10 years of his career, and he's entering his 11th. You know, I just wonder when that wear and tear is going to yeah. start to show with him. Uh, I would not bet against Malcolm Jenkins because he is a total pro who takes care of his body. You know, so I, like I kind of that's why I, I'm not super panicked about it, but it's just like something in my mind. And I also wonder, you know, how close to 100% is Rodney McLeod going to be coming off this ACL injury? He obviously has a lot of motivation to play well, because as well as a number of other players, he's going to be a free agent after the year. But yeah, so after those two starters, you're looking at Andrew Sandejo, who I think is, you know, more of a lock to make the team now. Like, I thought he looked decent in spring drills. He was taking all the first team reps, uh, even when Malcolm Jenkins came back. You know, it was Jenkins who replaced Sullivan in the lineup, and it was Sandejo who is still in the starting lineup. So that shows you, you know, he's clearly mm. the third safety on the depth chart. I just, I see him making the team, especially in part two, because if Rodney McLeod isn't 100%, you, you want to have someone to lean on there, uh, a veteran, and it could be Sandejo. And, you know, looking at it more, John, I also found something out about Andrew Sandejo. You know, he gets a reputation as a box safety, but looking at his snap count, that's not what he is. He's a free safety. <laughs> looking mm. it just, just like Rodney McLeod is. Um, Malcolm Jenkins is more of the box safety on this team. Rodney McLeod is your free safety when he's starting. Uh, and then I think that really is why the Eagles signed Andrew Sandejo, because uh, as a guy who can play free safety, he kind of fits more in that Corey Graham role. Like I think that's your direct replacement there. So I think Sandejo makes it as your third safety. And then I think Blake Countess is your fourth guy. He was the first team punt protector. You know, the Eagles made an effort mm-hmm. to get him back after the Rams cut him. He's going to be, he's going to be your new Chris Marigos, basically. Okay. Like he's, he might play a few defensive snaps if he has to, but more so it's going to be a special teams guy. The, the last thing I'll add on the Sendejo note is that kind of in the same boat, I guess, as LJ Fort, like you could trade Andrew Sendejo and you would actually save, I think, like one, about $1 million in cap space. Okay. And again, even if you're just getting a seventh for him, it's really like you're getting a fourth and a seventh for him in addition right. to saving that cap space. So you don't want to do that, obviously, if you're not feeling great about your safety depth. So like you could only do that if Blake Countess is looking good and Trey Sullivan's looking good or maybe DeAndre Hall or whatever. I think for now, Sandejo makes the team. And, uh, of course, uh, punter Cameron Johnson, kicker Jake Elliott, and long snapper Rick Lovato would, yes. would round out the 53-man roster. So, um, obviously, again, if a team loaded with talent. This is a this should be a fun a fun training camp. Again, there's not going to be a lot of starter positions up for grabs, but some positions to watch and some potential transactions to watch out for uh, this uh, this summer as uh, the Eagles get ready to come back to the NovaCare Complex next week and uh, get ready for training camp. Um, when we come back, we're going to give you just uh, some real quick uh, bold predictions for the 2019 season, uh, a few from me and a few from BLG, and we'll do that next right here on BGN Radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. So to finish things up here on episode 63 BLG, let's give the folks uh, some bold predictions. And we're going to throw a hashtag out at you here in just a few minutes so that uh, you can get in on the fun as well. I'm going to have a piece out for BleedingGreenNation.com um, at some point, either Friday or Saturday, uh, with some uh, some of my bold predictions. I'll have a few more on there. I'm doing 10 bold predictions on the season. But I'll just give you a handful of mine, and BLG will give you uh, three of his as well. 
Uh, BLG, I'll start off, and um, I'm going to – a bold prediction. And most of these bold predictions for me, they're all optimistic. They're kind of pie in the sky bold predictions. And I do this uh, I do this every year for the Good Fight, the, the Phillies the SB Nation blog that I write for. And usually only one of my ten bold predictions will ever come true. I think that's been my track record. Like one a year actually makes it because they're – they're usually all ridiculously optimistic and pie in the sky. So that's just kind of that's kind of how these things go. So I'm I'm gonna go on a limb and say Derek Barnett earns a Pro Bowl selection in 2019. BLG. I, I liked what I saw from him at the start of last year. I, you know he's got the first round pedigree. Uh, he's gonna start if he stays healthy. I think he can be I think he can be a 10 to 12 sack guy. And if that's the case, I think he makes the Pro Bowl. I would love to see it. Uh, my confidence level is not super high, and that's not even me being down on Derek Sure, Barnett. it's like, hard to make solid. the Pro Bowl. Yeah, it's, just, it's hard. It's, uh, it's really hard. That's bold. Uh, Brandon Graham hasn't made it. You know, Think about right? that, and he's, right. he's a pretty good player. So for me, I'm going to go on the offense, and it's a little bit of a statistical prediction here. I'm going to say J.J. Arcega-Whiteside has more touchdowns than Nelson Aguilar this year. Um, wow, that's a good one. And that's kind of... I don't, know. I don't know. I'm not. It's not cheating. Uh, it's kind of not the boldest, I guess, just because the way I look at it, I, I look at it as if, you know, he's going to be getting some decent red zone playing time. And I think, yeah. you know, as like a red zone specialist, and I think, you know, just his jump ball ability, like he's going to be able to kind of, he might have like a weird stat line this season is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Like he might mm-hmm. only have like, I don't know, like just say 18, whatever catches, but he might have like six touchdowns. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's just good in the red zone. And you know, I'm kind of hedging here, or not hedging, but I'm kind of also, you know, I'm considering that Aguilar could be traded, and if he is, that would, you know, probably really help my prediction here. Sure. So, so I'm going to say J.J. Arcega-Whiteside might not have more playing time than Nelson Aguilar, but I think he will have more touchdowns. Who has more touchdowns, Arcega-Whiteside or Goddard? Goddard. Goddard, okay. Yeah, I mean, Goddard's going to see more snaps, but uh, both are big red zone targets. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. Um, another bold prediction for me. This one's not so optimistic. I think Andre Dillard makes at least four starts this year for the Eagles. And, and there's a couple different ways this can happen. One, obviously, obviously, is if they trade Big V and Jason Peters goes down. Is it? It's not unreasonable to think Jason Peters could miss a month of action for some kind of injury this year. 37 years old. He had to, you know, he started every game last year, but had to come out of just about every game that he was in. You know, I think Jason Peters can be a very effective player this year. I think he'll have an effective year, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, for part of October and November or, you know, two games here, a game here, a game there. Jason Peters is not in the starting lineup. And uh, and Andre Dillard, if he's if he does well in training camp and is looking good in practice, maybe they maybe they use him uh, as the starting left tackle. That would be, you know, something would have to go wrong either with Brandon Brooks or with uh, or Big V getting traded or something like that in order for that to happen. But uh, I'll say Andre Dillard makes at least four starts here in his rookie season. I could see it. Uh, I mean, Jason Peters, he did start all 16 games last year, which seems like crazy when you think about it. Right. Because um, he was out a lot. But he definitely, he's going to miss some time at some point, probably. So, yeah. not unreasonable. My bold prediction here is not so optimistic for him. And I kind of already teased it a little bit, or went into it pretty hard, actually. Sidney Jones. Uh, I'm just going to say, I have written down here that Sidney Jones doesn't play. Uh, now I'm not going to say he doesn't play at all because that's a little extreme. There could be injuries and whatnot, but like the the gist is like he's not going to get a ton of playing time. He's not going to be a starter, or at least a full time starter by any means. Think about it this way, John. Do you feel like you have to get Avante Maddox on the field? Yes. Do you feel like you have to get Sidney Jones on the field? No. Yeah, I think that's like that's how I'm kind of that's where I'm at with that. And it's not just those two players in the equation. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts there. 
But, you know, assuming, like, Darby can come back and stay healthy, man, I, so I guess Sidney Jones is kind of like the fourth cornerback on this depth chart or around there, and I just I don't really see him playing much this year. No, that's fair. Totally understand that. I mean, he's got to he's he's got to have a good training camp, man. He's he's got a flash in training camp in order in order for him to rise above some of those guys for sure. My last uh, bold prediction for the podcast, and again, I'll have ten uh, for the piece that I'm writing for uh, Bleeding Green Nation, is uh, the Eagles go undefeated in the NFC East. BLG. I think they sweep the Giants and Redskins. I don't think that's a bold prediction, but uh, I think you know last year the Cowboys swept the Eagles, and I think. The Eagles get their revenge this season on a Cowboys team where, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, there's been reports he's quietly talking about holding out of training camp because he wants a new deal. Still waiting on whether or not they're going to give Dak Prescott a new deal. That hasn't happened yet. There's a lot of things going on with Dallas. And, you know, I, I, Dallas's defense is very good. And they figured out a way to kind of shut down the Eagles offense last year. But I think the Eagles offense is much, much better. I know it's very, very rare for an NFC East team to go undefeated in the division, but you know, this might be a special Eagles team this year, and I think they go undefeated in the NFC East unless it just, you know, the only way that this, I think, gets sidetracked is if there's a, a game at the end of the season where the Eagles are resting all their starters and they don't need anybody that uh, they maybe lose a, a game. Right. Like they like in 2017 when they rested everybody against the Cowboys and lost 6 nothing. Yeah, I mean, I always, like, in my mind, I, I'm pretty sure I convince myself of this every year. I'm like, yes, they're going <laughs> to sweep these this year. It doesn't even matter how, like, bad they are. Just because, in part, the other teams aren't really good. I do think they beat Dallas twice this year, which is key to me. I really do. I really believe that. I think they're, you know, they're going to feel bad about what happened last year. And for as much as Dallas figured out the Eagles, I also think the Eagles kind of stopped themselves in many respects. And mm. I think they've, they've hopefully figured that out. So I like the prediction, John. Um, for my last one here, I'm in three, I will say... Carson Wentz doesn't miss a single game this year due to injury. Oh yes, now, I had that same prediction, BLG. Alrighty. I'm gonna, ha yeah, I love that. That's one of the ones I'm I had ready to go for the website. Absolutely, it's a great one. Due to injury again, we're yeah. we're not counting if you know week 17 and he sits out because they already have something locked up. Just talking about just the injury, he did it before. By the way, like, this isn't impossible. People right. act like this is like an impossible feat. Like he did it as a rookie. He played all 16 games. Like it's yep. not. And he even in 2017, he played like most of the season. He he mm -hmm. missed what three games? Like it's really yep. not like impossible that he could do this. Like people people treat it that way. And I, I'm just I'm looking forward to to the conversation. Like once that happens, if he just makes it through this season healthy, are we still gonna be talking the whole off season? The next like next off season and then the future. Oh, if only Carson Wentz stays healthy. If only like no, no probably not no. as much. Um, so I would love for that to happen, obviously, and I think it will. I just and like that's my mindset going into this season. As I was talking about with Ben last year, like why am I just going to assume that Carson's going to get hurt? Like why? Right. Like he might not. He might. I I don't know. Like no one has any kind of read on that. Like that you're just guessing entirely. Like yep, that's just a total guess. Um, you can try to argue if you you don't like. Carson Wentz that you know he plays too recklessly or whatever but like I just I think that's bullshit man I look at Dak Prescott and he runs around a lot like he's not like always just you know taking like being smart with the ball and like he like he takes hits he runs out into the open field um I don't think Carson Wentz is especially uh, reckless to the point where like I it's impossible that he could play 16 games so no damn it I'm gonna say Carson Wentz plays 16 games well let me rephrase again doesn't miss a game due to injury and I think he's going to have a great season. So that's where I'm at. I mean, the, the injury in 2017 was, was bad luck. And I have no idea if some of the back issues he was dealing with was because of the compensation for his leg or if he got hurt. Because we still don't know exactly how that all went down. So I think it's a great pick. That was one of the ones that I had written out 
and that'll be up. Um, I'll have that post uh, for you uh, probably by the time you you hear this podcast uh, at BleedingGreenNation.com. And listen, give us your bold predictions for the Eagles season uh, on Twitter. You can tweet at BGN Radio. You can tweet at BLG. That's at Brandon Gowton. You can tweet at me at John Stolnes. Uh, hashtag BGN Bold Predictions. I will send out a, a tweet uh, to also kind of get you get you going on that one. But uh, hashtag BGN Bold Predictions. Uh, let's hear your bold predictions for the 2019 season as well. BLG, any final thoughts before we wrap up the final podcast before training camp? Man, that sounds good, John. It sounds like a good thing that you just said. We have training camp right around <laughs> the corner. Uh, football will be starting to really get back into the swing of things. I mean, some teams have already reported for training camp in terms of like the little rookie camp they do. The Eagles really don't do that uh, anymore, at least haven't the past two years. So training camp is going to be back here. Again, as John said, you can get in on the conversation with the bold predictions with hashtag BGN bold predictions. We'll tweet some of those from the BGN radio account to so make sure you get those out there. It'll be fun to see what you can come up with here. Um, yeah, man. So football starting soon. That's awesome. As always, make sure you keep reading BleedingGreenNation.com because we will have a ton of training camp coverage and also podcasts here on BGN Radio and the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. So make sure you are subscribed to the feed so you don't miss an episode. Make sure you rate the podcast five stars and leave a review too. So we'd really appreciate if you could do that as the Eagle season is quickly approaching and it should be a fun one, John. Absolutely. I, I really feel like this could be a special football season and I know... Uh, a vast majority of the city and Eagles fans feel the same way. So we will be here for you throughout the 2019 season. It it should be a whole lot of fun. And training camp gets underway about a week from now, less than a week from now, I think, as we're recording this. So uh, very exciting times. And, of course, BLG will be there to be our, our eyes on the scene and uh, give us all his thoughts on everything that's happening down at Eagles training camp. And, kids, that'll do it for this edition of BGN Radio, episode number 63. Again, Follow BLG on Twitter at Brandon Gowton, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Radio. That doesn't make sense. BGN. <laughs>